right, let's open in prayer. So we get ready for the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to sung praises to you and preparing our hearts to hear. We ask you to bless this time and lead as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I've been struggling with this for most of the week on just how far I was going to go into this because it's one long chapter that all talks about the same thing. And it was too long to do all the verses. <laughs> so I had to break it up a little bit. So it'll be two messages on Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to start at verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time for it to every purpose under the sun. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which has been planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to read, a time to sow, uh, excuse me, a time to rent, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that works in, the, in that therein he labors? I have seen the travail which God has given the sons of man to be exercised in it. He has made everything beautiful in his time, also has he set the world in their, the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good thing in them but the man to rejoice to do good in his life and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. I know that whatsoever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it nor anything taken from it. And God does it that man should fear him. All right, we're going to look at this section here and it starts out to everything there is a season, and that word for season is an appointed time. God has an appointed time for everything that we do. Uh, and we talk about this a lot. God is sovereign. He knows what's going on. He's got a plan. He's got a direction. And he is not going to have anything come our way that he hasn't allowed. Now, he allows things that we don't necessarily want to have happen to us a lot. But the good news is nothing comes that he does not allow. And his promise to us is that all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, which means it's going to be for something good. And as we've said many times, we want to note that it's not for our good necessarily. That, that word is my is not in there. Uh, so we want to be able to understand that it is for good. And that means it may minister to somebody else and draw them because of our suffering and strength with God. But he says here, everything has an appointed time and, to every, and a time to every purpose under heaven. And we've talked about this. The word under heaven is the key part to the, the whole next section that we're going to read about. Under heaven, what is done in the world without God. And, you know, he lists a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm not going to read all that list, but he says everything that goes on, it's good and bad. It's, you know, uh, you die, you, you're healed, you're, you're, you're plant, you sow, you know. And without God, everything is just a long burden of repetition. 
It just goes over and over again. And without God, it's endless. It's just an endless repetition that doesn't seem worth anything. And if you talk to people who aren't Christians and don't know God, or even if they are Christians and don't have a relationship with God, like the young man that I was talking to yesterday, you know, it is just an endless repetition with no purpose. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys that, you know, well, there is no God or they believe in evolution or whatever, and that's their attitude. Oh, we just live, we muddle through every day, and then we die. What a miserable way to live. You know, terrible way to live. I don't even know how anybody can live that way. You know, which is probably why there's so many suicides that we have, because they don't have any hope. You know, there's no hope, and all you're going to do is, well, I'm going to do everything. And so you saw last week, Solomon's big complaint was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to amass all this stuff. I'm going to amass my kingdom. I'm going to build this beautiful kingdom. I'm going to have all this stuff, and I'm going to give it to my son. And that depressed him. You know, to do all of this and just give it to somebody else. You know, and this is the problem that we have without God, everything is meaningless. You know, and this is why we, we look at the last verse that uh, Solomon came down to at the end of the book in, in 12, 13 of the Song of Solomon. It says, and this is the conclusion of the matter. Love God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. You know, I want to keep bringing that one up because without the, that verse at the end, this whole thing is a very long, dreary book. And this whole point was to build up telling people everything you do is worthless until you bring God back into your, into your life. And this is what we find. You know, if you try to live your life without God, it is a worthless life. It's just a dreary life. You're not putting anything in heaven. If you're a Christian and you don't put anything to heaven, you're going you're gonna to go to heaven. That's good. But you won't have anything once you get there. And, you know, the easy thing about it is God wants to do his work through us. And I love that. You know, all I've got to do is let him crucify my flesh, turn my life over to him, and then he will open the doors. He will give you the opportunities to speak to people. And you'll just open your mouth and speak and you know, I had another man I was talking to yesterday, and he goes, well, I just needed to hear what you said. And it wasn't even anything great. You know, I, I think I said something about, you know, God's got a plan for you, and it was it just what he needed to hear, and God opened a door. I had a lot of fun at the wedding. I, I talked to a lot of people about God. <laughs> uh, you know, but, you know, it was a great time to be out there. You know, without God, everything is meaningless. You know, and we've all been there at some point. You know, if we've turned away and walked from God, life is meaningless. Which is why so many people commit suicide, get into drugs, get into alcohol, get into whatever sin, workaholism, you know, food, whatever it is. They get into all these different things to say, I'm trying to find some meaning without God. And that's one of the things we've been talking about in these pre previous chapters. Solomon said, I tried all those things. And he goes, and without God... There's all this list of things. There's a time for everything. If you're born, you're going to die. You know, that's a one sure thing we know. Once you're born, you're going to die. Barring the rapture coming before, before that. And then we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye and given our glorified bodies anyway. So that's the only way to escape death is if Jesus returns. But everybody else, we're going to pay with our very life at the end. And only God knows when that time is going to be. I've talked to people and go, well, you know, I'm just going to do my thing, and when I get old, I'm going to die. And I go, who told you you're going to get old? <laughs> well, that you're going to get older if you're already old. You know, we don't know what's going to happen to us. We, 
We assume we're going to leave today. We assume we're going to go to work or whatever we do tomorrow. You know, we make our plans and, and believe that we're going to do that. But everybody who's ever died has had plans for the following week, unless the handful of people who know that they're around, you know, that they're, they're, they're on the critical side and they only have weeks or days. But even they don't know the exact moment they're going to die either. So they make plans. You know, they're still planning to eat dinner that night or to eat, eat breakfast the next morning, even though they know that it's soon. So, you know, we need to keep this in mind. Without God, it's going to be a meaningless repetition in life. With God, it is a wonderful life with God. When you're walking with God, it is a wonderful life because you're looking, God, what's the opportunity to share? What do you got me doing today? And, you know, the greatest opportunities when you share is when you just speak to somebody and you say something you don't even think is all that great and they're looking at you like, wow, I needed that. How do you get there? Well, you spend time in God's word. You get to know him. You get to understand him. You get to understand the way he thinks. You know, and, I, and I find it amazing when I'm just sharing something that is just normal, everyday life for me and somebody goes, wow, I needed that. You know, and I'm sure hopefully everybody else has been there at some time when you, somebody just looks at you and said, I didn't under, you know, wow. And you know, we, we are the best times of our witnessing are when we're just living our normal life with God. You know, and one thing I've showed is people, you know, especially those who go to the other Bible studies in our church, you know, you're getting so much information that when you go to another church, you're going to be the one that knows the Bible compared to, to what they know. Uh, I've shared with the Bible studies, you know, the only time I've ever been scared about teaching God's word is when I was in my 30s and they gave me the assignment to teach the 60s, 60s men's class. <laughs> you know, and at 30 years old, I was, I was terrified because I thought these guys are going to know, what, know what to, what's going on in the Bible. So I studied. I was working full time and I, if I wasn't working, I was studying. And the very first thing I said to them, which I thought was elementary Christianity, they go, can you stop and explain it? And that shocked me. I'm not shocked anymore when I find it, but it shocked me because they didn't understand the basics. And these guys have been the deacons, the Bible study teachers and everything. You know, and it just was a shock to me that most people do not know the word of God. So I want to encourage us as a church, let's make sure we know the word of God. Read the Bible every day. You know, come to Bible studies. Go to, you know, talk amongst each other. You know, what's the greatest thing that I want to see happen in this church? I love to see people coming to church and saying, you know what I learned this week in church in, in my Bible study and sh share it with others. Because it'll be amazing. Some of the greatest information I've ever heard sometimes has come from new Christians who are just studying the Bible and they came across something and, and it may not be earth shattering, but they saw it in such a different way sometimes. Not a wrong way, just a different way. And it was very interesting to what God showed them. So be bold. Tell people what God is showing you. Because it may just, if it touched you, it might just touch somebody else. You, know, you never know. If God's taught you something, share it with other people. I, I have fun. I get to do it all the time. <laughs> so we see here, he says, there's a time for everything, a time and a place for everything under the sun. And then he ends at verse 9. He says, what profit has he that works in that wherein he labors. So Solomon is going in a very depressing mode. You, you've lived your life. You've done your work. What profit is there? What advantage is there to you? And if all you have is this earth, you have no profit. Now this goes to when you talk to people and say, you know, well, when you die, are you going to go to heaven? And most of the time, unless you happen to get a Christian, 
really, really understands it, go, well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. And I've already shared with you, if you have somebody who says, I hope I'm good enough to heaven, you just can say simply, well, I've got bad news for you. You're not. But neither am I. <laughs> you know, and I always put that in there because I don't want them to think I'm judging them because in my own strength, I'm not worthy to go to heaven either. The only reason we can go to heaven is because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We admit that we're a sinner. We ask him to come in and cleanse us. He comes in and dwells with us. God clothes us in his, Jesus' righteousness. And when we stand before the Father, he says, here's my child, <laughs> my perfect child. Isn't it good that God sees us as perfect? Yeah. He does not see us the way we normally see ourselves or each other. What difference would we be if we started seeing ourselves the way God sees us? If we started seeing others the way that God, if we start seeing, if we start seeing others the way that God sees, sees them, how would we treat each other differently as Christians if we started understanding these are his children, his perfect children? Now, most parents don't like to have their kids criticized. Sometimes they know their kids deserve it. <laughs> and if their kids really deserve it, they understand it. But you still don't like to have your kids criticized. You're not going to want to have your spouse criticized. And you know, if we criticize one another, we're the bride of Christ. We're criticizing his bride. He's not going to take that very, very, very well. So we want to be able to look at this. How does he see it? He sees us perfect. Without him, it doesn't matter what we do. The destination is hell without him. And this is what Solomon's destination goes, what, what worth is living? You, you live, you die, you eat, you, you sleep, you go to work. <laughs> yeah. He goes, just a repetition. You know, even if you make a change once in a while, it's still, you get back, in, you know, back into another pattern. We like patterns as human beings. Even those who don't like patterns make patterns. You know, it's, it's kind of amazing. I've been to a church that had no, no pattern that they wanted to run their church by, and yet it was run the same way every week. Now, yeah, they might switch something once in a while, but it was the same general pattern every week, even though they said they didn't like patterns because human beings like patterns. We like routine. You know, we like to know that I'm getting up at a certain time, I'm going to eat breakfast, or what, if you don't eat breakfast, whatever you do, and you make your plans for your day. We like routines because it makes some kind of order out of our day. And we really don't like it when God comes in and says, I'm going to shake up your day. <laughs> I'm going to have you stop and talk to this person, even though you're on your way someplace else. How many times we're so busy, we, we pass by so many opportunities to witness, to share with people, to speak to people. It's real easy. Even when you're planning to speak with people, you can still walk past them and not even notice them. And that's what Solomon's saying. What profit? There's no advantage in everything we do without God. In verse 10, he says, I have seen the travail that God has given to the sons of man that exercise it. And sons of man is a, is a term speaking of those without God. Okay, So he says, I, I know how they work. It's labor. It's laborious. And I get amazed sometimes when I'm talking with people at work and stuff and just how miserable they seem to be most of the time. Every once in a while, they'll come in happy. They've had a big event the day before or something. But more often than not, they're miserable. They're not smiling. They're not. They're not happy. They they come to work. You know how many people do we know that are at work and they're going? I can't just. I can't wait till Friday. If 
Friday's coming. And then they get to Friday and they start the weekend and go, oh, Monday's coming. They haven't even got through Friday most of the time and they're already complaining that Monday's coming. You know, it's a miserable place to live outside of the moment you're in. If you're always looking forward to something, you're losing today. If you're always looking back at the past, you're still losing today and you can't change either one of them. We need to live where we're at, in the moment we're at, and say, God, what is it you want me to do right this moment? Right this moment, because I can't say, well, God, uh, uh, you know, tomorrow afternoon I'm going to go talk to that person. We don't know if they're going to be there. We don't know if we'll be there. We don't know what plan God has for us. We need to be open to this moment in time. You know, how do we get over our sin? We live in this moment. You know, we don't live in what I might have to fight later on. We let God worry about that. And I'm going to tell you, he doesn't worry about it because he's already there. <laughs> you know, we've talked about this. The omnipresence of God is so wonderful because he is not just everywhere present. He's every time present as well. When God looks at time and gives us what's going to happen, it's not a surprise to him because he's already there. He already knows what's going to happen. It's nothing's going to ever surprise him. He already knows. He was with Adam and Eve right now, you know, which we look back 4,000, 5,000 years ago and say they were created. And he's with us at the, tribula at the millennial kingdom right now because he's outside of time. Nothing surprises him. I'll let him take care of the future. <laughs> he knows how to prepare me for the future because he knows what he's preparing me for. When I trained employees, I trained them for what I knew they were going to be experiencing in the restaurant. Did I know exactly? No, but I knew what they were going to experience because every day repeated itself. <laughs> yes, there were new things, different customers, different events, but pretty much I knew what they were going to be prepared for. God already knows, and he literally knows what's coming down our path, and he's going to prepare us for what we need to be prepared for. Unless we're stubborn and selfish, and then we won't get prepared, and then we'll have to struggle through what he was supposed to, that he was trying to prepare us for. We'll have to repent for having made all kinds of mistakes because we didn't get prepared. And hopefully we'll get prepared for the next time that he's trying to prepare us. But the good news is, he's always there. And he's preparing us for this stuff. He went on to go even further and he goes, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has set the world in their heart. And the, world, the word world in the King James is a bad translation. It's eternity. He has set eternity in their heart. Why do people desire God at all? Because he has put eternity, the everlasting in him, the desire for himself. And if you think about this, even if you walk away from God, you know you're missing something, you know there's more. Instinctively, human beings know there's more to life than what they're experiencing, which is what drives them to try to do things better and to move forward. Because inside, God has placed the desire for himself in mankind. He has created us in his image. And part of his image is in to be in relationship with himself. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in relationship for all of eternity, except for one moment of time on the cross when Jesus was separated from that union because of his redemption of us. He died on the cross, became sin, and the Father and the Holy Spirit turned their back on him and broke that fellowship for a period of time. 
We don't understand the pain of that. We think about the cross being painful, and we've talked about this several times. That was the pain that Jesus went through, and it's also the pain the Father and the Holy Spirit went through to break an eternal fellowship to buy us back. People talk about uh, salvation being, being so cheap. It is not cheap. It cost the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit a tremendous pain to buy us back. And the amazing thing is that he did it. <laughs> Even more amazing is that he created us in the first place knowing that we were going to sin and that he was going to have to experience that much pain. I don't understand it. I have never read anybody else who ever really truly understands it. You know, he did it. And it was great pain. And, and Solomon is saying, God has given us that gift of the divine desire within us. And that's his gift. That's the only thing that keeps people that are without Christ from totally just obliterating their life in the very beginning because they know there's something that they're missing and they try to reach out. Now, oftentimes they try to reach out the wrong ways. You know, uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of sins that can get in your, in your way and trying to fill it. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is about that. Remember, we talked about Solomon, you know, tried to put his name on every building in, 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 in Jerusalem and Judea and, you know, all those places. You know, he says, I, I put my name on everything. I created parks. I, I looked at entertainment, uh, alcohol, drugs, you know, money. You know, uh, he, he had a real penchant for women that we talked about, you know, with only a thousand wives and concubines. Uh, you know, and he said, you know, in chapter two, that it, anything that his eyes saw that he wanted, he took. You know, so he tried everything, just like the world tries, and realized that without God, it's worthless. And, you know, this is where people are. When we talk to them, they're looking for God. They want that relationship with God. And later on, we're going to see that Solomon says, I tried religion. You know, when we talk to people, I go, uh, people go, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want religion. I go, I don't want religion either. I want a relationship with God. I don't want religion. Religion is a whole bunch of rules telling me how to please God. And if you've ever tried to keep rules to please God, there's no satisfaction because all you're trying to think about is all the stuff you want to do that you're not allowed to do. That's just exactly what rules do to you. Makes you think about why can't I do it or what, you know, or I really want to do this, why can't I? And you're thinking more about what you want to do that can't do and that's what religion's all about. And this is why we look at grace, God's grace. He comes into our life, he crucifies our flesh, and changes us. And I love it that it's him. Because it would be a tough life if I had to do all the changing. And you all know the same thing. It's a tough life if you're having to make the changes. If you just need to surrender to God and let him say, I've got this. And then you look back over your life and you look back after a couple years and you go, man, if this had happened to me last year, last month, two years ago, three years ago, however long you have to look back, I would have gone nuts. And yet, there was no problem with it. Why? Because it's been surrendered to God and kept with him. So we look at this and this is what he says. I put that divine eternity in their heart. They want it. Most of the time, they don't know what they want because they don't understand it. It's not until you finally meet God that you know that I found what I, what I was missing. You know, then we'll try all kinds of things before that. And we find out what it was. 
And then he goes, that I know there is no good thing in them but the man to rejoice and to do good. Oops, I'm sorry, I missed one part. No man can find out the work God has made from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no, is no good thing in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. Also that every man should eat, drink, and enjoy the good of his labor, for it is a gift of God. He goes, you're not going to understand God. Yeah. Anybody who tells you they understand God is, doesn't understand God. <laughs> They've got too small a God. I tell people sometimes, you know, well, isn't there things in the Bible you don't fully understand? I go, absolutely. If I understood everything that was in the Bible, I'd be in trouble because my God would be too small. If I understood everything there was about God, the God wouldn't be big enough. It would be me being God because if I could understand it, then I'm making myself God and not him. I will never understand God. Whenever I talk about the Trinity, I start out with, we're going to teach you about the Trinity. You're going to know what the Bible says about the Trinity, and you're not going to understand him any better than when we get done than when you began. Because the Trinity is something we cannot understand. How can somebody be three very separate individuals and still be one? We use all kinds of descriptions for it, but every one of the descriptions break down because they're, they're not the same, because we end up getting into the idea of there are actually three separate individuals that act like one. Nope, they're three individuals that are one. You know, and so we look at that and say, you know, it's something we can't understand. How do we understand that God created mankind knowing that he was going to have to die for us? I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it knowing that I was going to have to die to redeem them. Now, I don't know everything God knows, so obviously he sees something we don't see from at all. But that means he's bigger than us. And this is important for us to understand that God has got to be bigger than us and unknowable to us, or he's not big enough. If we can understand him, then we have created God, and he's too small. And this is very important for us to understand because many people go, you know, I want to have a God I can understand. I don't want the God that small. Or we have designer religions now where people pick and choose what they want to believe and get rid of the rest of what they don't want to believe. You know, they'll go, well, well I like this part of Christianity, love your neighbor, but I love this part of Buddhism and then this part of Hinduism. And they make their own God and make their own religion. And what have they done? They've made themselves God. And that's been the problem from the very beginning of time when Satan went to Eve and said, God is keeping something from you. If you, the moment you eat this fruit, you will be like God. It was Satan's fall from heaven when he said, I want to be like the most high. He wasn't happy with his position. He wanted to be God. What is mankind's biggest problem? We want to be God. Whatever that means for the individual trying to be God, they want to be in control. We can never be in control because God has put that eternal spark in us that says, you know that you're not in control. You know you don't know enough. You know that you're not there. You know, but the great comfort is to know that God is so big that he can take care of us. I take so much comfort in that. It makes life easy to get by when something bad seems to happen to you that you think it's bad and you go, God, I don't understand this, but you've got a reason. And you go on and just let him give you the support you need. And sometimes he shows you the reason for it. Oftentimes he does show you the reason for it. It may be decades later, but he'll show you. Sometimes it's very short just to give us that encouragement and that, that blessing. He may, there's some things that happen to you. He's not going to show you until you get to heaven and may not even show you there because it's irrelevant in heaven. 
You know how many people I've talked to that say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why. Well, you know what? When I, when I get to heaven, I don't know if they're going to get there, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to be in so, awe, so much awe of God, I don't think I'm going to ask anything for the first, first couple hundred years or millennia. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to be, wow. <laughs> it, it's going to be wonderful to be here. What a, what a wonderful thing to see God at that point. And then he says that the gift of God is that people can eat and drink from, uh, and rest from their labor. What a gift. Now, he's using this tongue-in-cheek because it's not really the gift from God that we have. But, you know, God gives them a certain satisfaction. There is satisfaction in sin for a short period of time. If there wasn't, nobody would sin. And God, the, the gift that God has given us is this idea that we can have a short-term satisfaction. It doesn't last long. It doesn't go very far. But Solomon is saying there is that gift from God because how miserable would life be if they never had any satisfaction at all in their life? You know, you wouldn't, wouldn't live long enough to even get, in, get into getting a message from God. You know, and this is the, the hard thing about this is that God's saying, I want to know you. Verse 14 says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it or added to it, and nothing can be taken or removed from it. God does it, and man should fear before him. What God does is perfect. We can't add to what God does. Have you, have you been there? I'm hoping you've at some point experienced a time when you were with God, you're doing something for him, and it was just perfect. Usually until we open our mouth and make a mess out of it. Uh, you know, but I've also had times when God is speaking through me, and I'm, and I'm back listening to myself speaking and going, wow, you know, this definitely isn't me. This is God. And you're saying the right things to people, and people are being blessed, and everything is going smooth. You know, and we stay out of it, and there's a great blessing for it. But the ultimate end is that we're to fear God. Now, the idea of fearing God is not spoken about a whole lot. And by the end of this message, when we get to the last chap book, we're going we're gonna to do a whole series on fearing God and all the blessings that are involved in fearing God. You know, the fear of God is a beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is understanding. He blesses those that fear him. Long life is promised to those who fear him. You know, what does it mean to fear God? It means to be afraid. <laughs> you know, we, we try to whitewash that in today's world because we're not liking the idea of being afraid of something. It's not to be terrified into inability or anything, but it's the old adage from way back, you know, when mothers used to tell their kids a lot, you know, just wait till your father comes home. When dad comes home, you're going to be in trouble. You're in trouble right now, but you're really going to get it when he gets home, which meant that you're going to get spanked or whatever else, <laughs> physical punishment that came along with dad coming home. He was going to take something away, something that you wanted. God punishes disobedience in his children. Okay. Now we have, and we talk about this all the time, there is consequences for our sins. And that is natural. That is just a reaping and sowing law that God has put into place. But we as his children sometimes get additional punishment because we're his children. And he says, I'm not going to let you walk in that direction. And the whole thing about discipline 
we've walked away from discipline in, in, this, in our day and age pretty much, but discipline is desire to create enough pain that you do not want to do something again. All right? So when we have little children, we give them a little bit of a spanking enough so that they know that there's a pain associated with doing something wrong. As they get older, we take something away from them that they really want to do. Uh, you know, you, you can't use the car, you can't, you can't go out to the movies with your friends, you can't, whatever it might be, and we take something away from them that causes pain and says, if you continue doing this, this is what it will cost. God is good at doing that with us. <laughs> he is good at giving us the discipline that causes pain, that if we're watching carefully, we go, I don't want to do that, <laughs> because it hurt. <laughs> When you go to work and you work for a company, you might lose out on a pay raise. You might lose your job if you keep doing things that are wrong. What is the pain there? Well, you've lost extra money if you didn't get a pay raise. You lost your, your income, and all of a sudden you might lose your house, your car, your, and everything else. And you might go hungry for a while. <laughs> there is always a consequence, and the fear of God keeps us from those consequences. Why? Because I get into his word, I find out what he wants me to do, and if I do what he wants me to do, I stay out of a lot of consequences. And I don't get spanked from God. You know, if I don't, I have a lot of consequences in my life, and I get a lot of other problems. Sometimes it's just the pulling back of his relationship with us. God, I believe in you, but I haven't had that close relationship with you. And that's where 1 John 1, 9 comes in. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. For us as Christians, it doesn't mean that he said, okay, you're, you're lost, you're, never, you're not going to spend eternity with me. He says, you're out of fellowship. You know, you're not in relationship with him. And that is what's important for us as Christians, to be in relationship with him. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you want to get into that relationship. If you are a Christian and out of that relationship, confess your sins and get back with him and read the scriptures and get to know him better. Because it's so important. Without him, life is miserable. And without him, even as a Christian, life is miserable. Because he's not going to let it get good when we're away from him. Because he says, I want you with me. And again, I don't know why he wants us with him, but he wants us with him. I've said this before, I don't know, you know what a great deal it was. It's a great deal for us. Jesus died on the cross. We get to be, be, become his, his bride. We get everything that, that God has. And what does he get? He gets us. You know, uh, you know, when you look at that, it's probably not the greatest deal in the world. Definitely a great deal for us. What does he get? I don't know. He's a perfect God. He didn't need anything in the first place. And yet he created man and gave himself to us. That amazes me. It amazes me that he's done all that. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to learn to fear you. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, we ask that today that they will confess their sins and just say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come into my heart and save me. Lord, if there's anybody in here that is not in a close relationship with you, Lord, we invite them to just say, God, forgive me. I repent of my sins draw close to me and bring me in a close relationship with you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.